0: welcome to what I think is this last recorded session before we start in the sanctuary next week. So as we are ending this time together in this strange, unique, and wonderful way, we need to say a huge thank you to those who have faithfully made this a possibility. Chris, of course. Scott and Tamara and and Chris Phelan and all the music folk. We thank them. We're glad for them. And we're glad for this opportunity. Secondly, I wanna remind you that we have another ramp build this coming Saturday, May 22nd. It's a full build. And so if you would like to help, please call Jack Schmidtman and he will let you know what is necessary. Thirdly, one of the great events in the life of a scout is the Eagle Scout Ceremony, which we will have here in this sanctuary for Emory Laird next a week from Thursday, uh, the 27th, here at 6.30 with a reception following. Please join the family. They'd love to have you. Vacation Bible School is in the works. It's planning. It's Creating, It's decorating. People are busy. Sign up. Have a great time. This afternoon, there will be a continuing conversation with those who are interested. This, this week, we talk about the God who saves. And next week is Pentecost Sunday. So I ask you to remember to wear red. And also remember that we will receive the Pentecost offering. It's a special offering taken by the church to support children at risk. Most of all, I want us all to remember those on our prayer list, and those who may not be there. Remember them in prayer, encourage them and strengthen them. Please also remember Joan Stalworth and her family as they grieve Barney's death and plan for his memorial at the National Cemetery, hopefully at the end of next week. The Lord be with you, and also with you. This morning we are pleased to have Cameron King singing for us the hymn, In Christ There Is No East or West. Cameron please join me in prayer loving God we joyfully receive the gift of grace of salvation which is ours not because of our own efforts but because of the saving work of Jesus and and we come before you today with hearts about to explode for the abundance of your love. Help us receive your amazing gift and then to live our lives in gratitude that others may see in us the wonder of your love. While we know that our lives have been blessed by your love, we sometimes wander away as did the prodigal or expect more, as did the older son. And yet, you come to each of us, no matter where we are, to extend your love and welcome. We can only say, thank you. As we come before you today in humble gratitude, we offer our prayers for those who need to know your presence. Those who are wandering in a far country and don't know how to come home. Those whose lives are filled with sadness and and pain and need to be comforted. Those who work tirelessly for others and need rest. Those who wonder how they will feed their families and need a hand up. Those who serve in far distant places and need to know our faithfulness. Those who cannot find work and those who are overworked. God, be their guide and source of strength. All of this and much more, we pray in the name of the one who taught us that we may always come to you saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We have two scriptures, both of them from the New Testament. The first is from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 68 through 79. In these words, Zechariah opens up after having his mouth closed while his wife was carrying John the Baptist. As he makes his prophecy, you take, we are back at the very beginning of this gospel, the beginning of the story of hope. And Zechariah declares the wonderful things that God will do and what John, his son, will do as the world awaits the coming of the Messiah. Hear these words from the first chapter, of the Gospel of Luke. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the lord to prepare the way for him to give him his people to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A second lesson comes from the gospel, from, from the letter to the church in Galatia. It's in the third chapter, verses 1 through 9 and 23 through 29. Paul has been a new church developer in the region of Galatia. But as was his custom, once he got the church up and running on a sure footing, he would move on so that he could do it once again somewhere else. But it seemed that after he left the region, other other missionaries from the Jewish section came into the region with a message that was diametrically opposed to Paul's. They told the Gentile Christians in Galatia that they needed circumcision before they could really belong. Paul was livid. He had told the story of Christ, and these missionaries had attempted to add additional requirements to what Christ had done in their lives. I believe that Eugene Peterson captures Paul's great frustration in the message. So I invite you to listen to this more contemporary translation of Galatians 3, 1 through 9, 3 through 29. Here's what Paul said. You crazy Galatians. Did someone spell on you? Did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened for it is obvious that you no longer have crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life began? Was it by working your heads off to please God, or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what God has begun. If you weren't smart enough, or strong enough to begin it? How do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? Is it not yet a total loss? But it certainly will be if you keep this up. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in our lives you could never do for yourself? Does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Don't these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham? He believed God. And that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Is it not obvious to you that persons who put their trust in Christ, not persons who put their trust in the law, are like Abraham, children of faith. It was all laid out beforehand in Scripture that God would set things right with non-Jews by faith. Scripture anticipated this in the promise to Abraham. All nations will be blessed in you. So those who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who lived. By faith. This is no new doctrine. Until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic Law. The law was like those Greek tutors with which you are familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will be ready, will get ready to the place they're set for. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female, Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to the promise, the covenant promises. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever walked into a room and knew immediately you didn't belong there? I remember the first time my congregation walked into worship with our Episcopalian friends. We didn't know where to sit. There were multiple books in front of us And we didn't know the order, which book to use, and when. And while we had celebrated communion by intinction numerous times, we were not quite sure what to do when we got to the rail. Thankfully, after time, those feelings changed. But sometimes the rituals we follow get in the way. Of belonging. I heard a story this week about a preacher who was asked to officiate at his brother-in-law's memorial. He know, knew that Joe, his brother-in-law, was a casual guy and that the family wanted the service to be casual. So he left his clerics at home and arrived at the service in his jeans and a short sleeve shirt shirt, only to walk in the door and find the whole family dressed up. The sons were all in suits and ties, and his sister-in-law was dressed in a long, beautiful gown set off by a string of pearls. And here he was the preacher in jeans. Do you ever wonder? How often that happens when people walk into church? I can remember a similar experience. We traveled out of town to attend a member's wedding. And up until that time, the only wedding rehearsal dinner we had ever attended was a very casual, small family affair that would give us the strength to go back to the reception area and transform it for the next day's celebration. But we knew when we walked in the door, we were out of place. There was a harpist in the corner softly playing beautiful music, and men and women were arriving in suits and ties and beautiful gowns. We had not arrived in jeans, but were far from dressed to the nines. Oh my, it was indeed an awkward situation, especially when I was asked to stand and bless the meal. Sometimes the way we always do things gets in the way of belonging. The Apostle Paul was writing to a group of folk he deeply cared about. He was writing to those he had brought into the faith, to those he had watched the Spirit transform. So he wrote with great passion for the people and for his message of grace, of God's faithful love. But as as I said earlier, after Paul had left the region of Galatia, well-meaning Jewish followers of Jesus came into the area and tried to convince these folk that the only way they could be, be truly followers of Jesus was if they became Jewish first, if they followed the law that had identified the Jewish people throughout the centuries as God's very own. Now, as we heard several weeks ago, this issue had really been settled by the Council of Jerusalem when Peter stood up and said, God made no distinction between us and them. Why then are we challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. But it seemed that even though Peter, the rock, had convinced the council, there were others who clung to the old ways and sought to encourage others to follow those old ways. Now, before we rush to judgment, let's take a moment and look backward Following their time in slavery, God had, moved, had delivered the people of Israel and given them the law to help them create a new community, to help them identify themselves as God's people. The law was important to them and to their identity, especially as they lived among folk who did not believe as they believed. The law was a distinguishing symbol of who they were and whose they were. And when the temple was destroyed, Jewish existence continued because the law was present. So it's no surprise that the law came to be that which determined who was in with God and who was out with God. But we heard last week that the only thing that determines if you belong is if you are centered in Christ, not the laws we keep. So Paul had a big problem with what was happening in Galatia, how some were attempting to deny the nature of God's grace seen most clearly in the ministry of Jesus. After Paul expressed his great distress in no uncertain terms, he turned to his Jewish roots. Because for Paul, what Christ had done, while radical and new, was in complete continuity with God's actions throughout their history. Paul took the people of Galatia to the father of their faith, to Abraham and his exemplary faith. Paul opened the scriptures to them in a new way, which focused on the promises made to Abraham and fulfilled in Christ. God made a promise to Abraham. God said, I will bless you and make you a great nation. Through you, all nations will be blessed. God's promise came first, and only after the promise did did Abraham respond faithfully long before Sinai in the giving of the law. The specific law that these missionaries were holding up as necessary was circumcision, but actually, Circumcision was not a prerequisite, but a confirmation of God's grace. Abraham was not blessed because he was circumcised. Abraham was circumcised because he was blessed. Paul was reminding the people that if others added requirements over and beyond Christ's work, They were actually reducing God's gospel to non-gospel, to denying Jesus' work of love. It was though Paul was saying the law does not define us, Christ does. The people of God are no longer defined by the law, but by Christ, by belonging to him. And belonging to him did not mean that they had to follow Jewish custom, but to believe as Abraham believed. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, and definitely Paul was not saying that the law is null and void. Paul was not denying the law, but affirming the law of love. Paul made the argument that the law was good and necessary. So while we are no longer under the law, we can and will be guided by the law as we live our daily lives. It's just the nuances of the law that those nuances do not determine who is in and who is out. That work is God's and God's alone. I want to share a story with you which I found and it helped me makes make some sense of paul's esoteric writing to the folk in galatia my middle daughter had been adopted by another family but sadly they never quite integrated their adopted child into their biological family and after a couple of years they dissolved the adoption while my My daughter, my middle daughter, had been adopted by that family and that family had made several trips to Disney. She was always left behind with a friend. My daughter thought this happened because she'd done something wrong. Once I found out about this, I made plans to take the the family to Disney. And I had always thought that Disney trips turned children into squirming bundles of emotional instability. But I was not prepared for the devilish behavior of our new daughter. In the months leading up to our trip to the Magic Kingdom, she stole food when a simple request would have gotten her a snack. She lied when it would have been easier to tell the truth. She whispered insults that were carefully crafted to deeply hurt her older sister. Finally, it was just a couple of days before the trip, I decided I needed to have a conversation with my daughter. She opened up. I know what you're going to do You're not taking me to Disney. While the thought had crossed my mind, I began to understand what was going on. She knew she could not earn her way into the magic kingdom. She had tried and failed that before. So she was doing what she was sure would keep her from that magical place. Somehow I found the right words and asked her, is this trip something we do as a family? She nodded. Are you part of the family? She nodded again. Then you are going with us. Sure, there will be consequences for your behavior of late to help you remember what is right and wrong, but you are part of our family and we are not leaving you behind." When bedtime rolled around after our first day at Disney, she said to me, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney. But it wasn't because I was good, it's because I'm yours. In Christ, we are all children of God through faith. We don't belong because we follow the rules. We belong because God said long ago and continues to say, you are precious in my eyes, you are honored, and I love you. In the name of our gracious and loving God, of Christ who calls us into one family, and the Spirit who unites us. Amen. Our second piece of music for this morning, or today, or whenever you're watching, is One Bread and One Hymn, sung by Ethan Soldat. the God's love is for all. Let us always make sure that we extend that blessed love to any and all. Let us not be barriers but bridges to God's love. And now may this blessing encourage us for this important work. May God's love surround you and enfold you. May Christ's presence encourage you. And guide you. May the Spirit inspire you to service. Amen.
1: Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christ. say